It's Thursday, November 17th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 423 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is one hour and three minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. My name is John. My name is Chad. This is Wayne. All right, we got two announcements. First of all, this episode is actually being recorded on November 1st, but it's not going to drop until somewhere in the week of November 13th through the 19th. But the announcement we do have, two announcements. First of all, Fear of the Con 10, even as of right now on November 1st, with the day that the Kickstarter dropped, has now funded to its minimum level. Okay, Are we sure it's... Fear the Con 10. It's not like Fear the Con X. It's so, I don't they don't know. write one zero. Yeah. It's all X. All right, it's, it's X Con. Like X Con. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So Fear the Con X. <laughs> Thank you. It is funded to the minimum level. So the con is happening. So the only question at this point is exactly what is the nature mm-hmm. of the con, the scope of the con, what's it going to include? So if you get out there and back it because you're going to attend or you just want to see a good gaming con get put on that's what you are now contributing toward at this point because the base level of the convention has already funded and i don't know you know once again in two and a half weeks when this drops where we're going to be but if nothing else just think of it as buying your ticket now because the minimum level is your ticket 25 dollars Back it at that level and yeah. pre-pot your ticket and don't have to buy it at the door so that's the fear of the con thing also, right now, Chad, Wayne, and Chris mm-hmm. are all participating in something called No Shave November. Yes. When do you guys want to talk about yeah. this? By the time this drops, I could very well look like a hobo. Maybe. You don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I have never actually gone more than three, maybe four days without shaving. Yeah, Wayne. I've known you for 10 years. I've never even seen you try to grow a beard. Mm-hmm. So for anyone that doesn't know what it is. No Shave November is a charity event. The purpose of it is to get people to back you, and that money goes for cancer research, cancer treatment, Mm -hmm. and cancer... uh, Education. Education. Education, yes. Because a large number of types of cancer... Remember, cancer is not a disease or a condition. It is a category of diseases and conditions. It's a motherfucker is what it is. That too. But it does have a variety of causes and things like that, and... The good slash bad news is that a lot of the cancers that people end up with are treatable. If they're educated. If they're educated and realize the symptoms and get the correct treatment and get it early enough. So one of the things this group does is not just cancer research. They also fund public education Mm -hmm. so that people know to check for certain things so that they can catch this before it does them dirty yep so i decided this year cancer has been something that's been very close to my life for a long time Mm -hmm. yeah i think i've mentioned on the mics before that i lost my brother to cancer when he was 36 my dad lost a kidney this year one of my best friends has kidney damage from the chemo that she went through and now with the recent uh, discovery of pats it has always been something that's been around me Mm -hmm. and this year has just been really close so i wanted to do something and I've known people who've done the No Shave November thing before, but I've never taken part of it. So it's like, this is something simple I can do. 
I can see what I look like with a beard <laughs> with and have a reasonable excuse for doing it mm -hmm. and do something good in the progress. So I'm telling people about this and I get the site all set up and I'm ready to go. And then Chad reaches out to me. It's like, hey, do you want to form a team? Mm -hmm. I want to join this. So I create a team. I hate cancer and I grow a damn good beard. Yeah. So, so Chad jumps on board and then Chris Hussey today reaches out to me and says, hey, I want to join you guys. And there's a man who knows how to grow a beard. Yeah. You know, you could say a lot about him. And we have said a lot, about a lot him. about him. And yeah. And it's all true. But he does grow a nice beard. That is true. Now, I am not personally participating in No Shave November in that. I'm still keeping my... We don't want you to participate. You've had Gnarl participate. Well, yes, Gnarl's participated, though, <laughs> because while I have not shaved my head nor mm -hmm. stopped shaving my chin, right. I did donate to all mm -hmm. three of your guys' campaigns under the name of Gnarl, and he made ignorant comments <laughs> to all three of you. But, I haven't read them yet. I, <laughs> I haven't But I will link to that in the show notes. So if you guys want to back this organization, let me do be absolutely clear. This is not going directly to Pat or Pat's right, treatment. Right. This yep. is just for cancer awareness and treatment in general. This is three people who really hate cancer. Yes. Because yeah. it is really negatively impacting us and our friends yes yeah and i was already thinking about it that was just the last thing to push me over the edge to say mm -hmm. yes i'm doing it and yeah. i got very lucky but know what the risk looks like because my dad's side of the family carries a genetic defect where basically everybody gets cancer right i just happened to get lucky in that 50 50 chance of inheriting it I didn't inherit it. Yep. Thanks to be to God for that, you know. But the point being, I've seen it touch a lot of people in my mm -hmm. family. I've seen it touch a lot of my friends. And so if you guys want to get out there and back this, or even if you don't have any money, but you just want to do your own thing, it's been November. But you know what? Who cares? Right. I, it's, <laughs> it's, guess what? It's not competition. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, that whole Salvation Army thing of need has no season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, cancer kind of, you know, it's yeah. it's not like a just November thing. So if you want to get out there and participate in this, I will link to their team in the show notes. So you mm -hmm. guys can check that out. And then also the Fear of the Con 10X, whatever, yeah. Kickstarter. I will link in the gonna, show notes. Just because everyone is madly curious about it, we are going to be doing before and after pictures. Yep. Chris is going to have a big neck beard. Yeah. That's really about it. Nobody Wayne, knows no, what will happen to Wayne me. Wayne is a mystery. I'm going to look glorious. So myself, <laughs> what, I'm doing, <laughs> that's, what I'm like doing is uh, every morning I'm taking the exact same picture uh -huh. in the exact same spot in the house. And then once it's all done, I'm going to take all of these, put them together into like a little time-lapse GIF. So you'll be able to see as nice. it develops. As nothing changes. It grows scraggly after four days and it stops. Yeah. See, if I do it, it's going to be, I, I'm perfectly clean shaven like I am right now. And then the next day, he's got a lot of stubble. Third day, that's a full beard. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This three quarters of the table <laughs> is all like that. Yeah. Where we can shave multiple times a day. I've never seen you in a beard, Dan. I have I, had one briefly. I, I did not see it. I want to yeah, see I, you I in a beard. I had one very briefly because I had a staycation. Mm hmm. Where for I was not familiar with the staycation, it's where you take a week off work and don't go anywhere. And by the way, they're glorious. <laughs> yeah. But I, I took a staycation and I got really lazy and for about 10 days didn't shave. Mm. And I had a, yeah. I mean, you've seen my brother. He's hairy as oh, hell. Yeah. So I'm not as hairy as he is. You know, I'm mm. evolved a little past that. <laughs> but 
the point being, it's you know certainly well within mm-hmm. my genes to sprout oh, yeah. Play-Doh quantities of hair, <laughs> and it yeah. So I did have one at one point, mm-hmm. and I even did the thing everybody does, where you know while I'm shaving oh, yeah, it, you shave like a Fu Manchu, yeah, <laughs> and I did all the different kinds, yeah. and then down to a mustache, and then you know I, I basically went through all the stages of well, what if I had a goatee, and what if I looked like a pedophile, and well, until finally you, you know do, you do the Charlie Chaplin. I yeah. won't say you do the Hitler, you right. do the Charlie the Charlie Chaplin. Chaplin. Until right. finally, Jonah Jameson. They Jonah Jameson, yeah. <laughs> Until I'm finally back to my usual Romanesque self. Right. So, all right. Anyway. So of, I have to ask, though, of all the different configurations you played with. Yes. Obviously, you, you don't go for any of them. You're a clean-shaven dude. Yes. Which one did you like the most on you? Uh, I don't know what it's called, but the one where you have, it's a full beard, but you have clean-shaven like the cheekbones mm-hmm. and the neck are clean shaven. Oh, so where it's and, like and it's like like the goatee and yes. it comes off. The so side it follows the, the jawline, and then yeah, you have like over the mouth and under I'm the sure chin. I'm sure that there's like a proper name for. Oh, it. Oh, I'm like sure a, there is. Van Gubenstein or something. <laughs> I just don't know what it is. But of all the looks, that was the one I thought looked best on me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a big fan of the goatee because yeah. it's become entirely too generic for an oh, yeah. IT guy with a goatee. Yeah. And I am a bald IT guy with a goatee. Not, well, not, not at the, the moment. moment. Not at the moment. Not at the moment. But, yeah. If honestly, yeah. all you are is you are eyebrows <laughs> shy of Pink Floyd. That's right. So I've got attack eyebrows. Got <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if we shave those off, you would look like you came straight out of that. Mm-hmm. One of the many mental breakdowns in the wall, which is a great movie, by the way. It's, it's it. the sort of movie I should hate, but I actually really love it. But all right. Anyway, topic for today is there's a video that's been floating around that actually a couple people have linked me to, and I have only watched parts of it because I don't Mm -hmm. have sound on my computer at work, but it's about the, I guess, the social economics of governing. Yes. The keys to power. The keys to power, and it presents, I think it's like three or four Mm -hmm. different models of government. It's not about economics in the sense it's about money, right? but it's about the fact that you have finite stuff to work oh, yeah. with that is economics economics isn't necessarily about money at currency. all yeah. Money is currency yeah, right, right. exchange sure it, but that's something I, I want to explain is why i say economics i i'm not necessarily talking dollars right but it's about the economics of working with finite resources to create leadership and there's something called an engineering choice so what mm. an engineering choice is is it's Whenever you go to design a system, there are oftentimes decisions that are mutually exclusive. And so you have to determine how to balance them. Mm -hmm. Okay, for example, the sort of engine that goes fast is not usually also the sort of engine that has a high towing power, that has a lot of pull. Mm -hmm. And so you have to decide between the two, what do you want it to be? Let's go with an easy one. Do you want something to be small, maneuverable? Or big and capable of carrying a lot of cargo. Well, these are trade-offs. So they're engineering decisions because you have finite and, once again, mutually exclusive ideas to work with. And governance is no different. You have to give something up Mm -hmm. to make a system that works because they're mutually exclusive ideas. And that, at least from what I saw, seemed to be what the video is about. Now, would you guys like to explain this a little better and also tie it to role-playing games? Well, this video is by CGP Gray. He's a guy who he does like explanations of how things work, governments and history and, and whatnot. His channel is really good. Very popular. He does not need us linking to it. Let me put it to you that way. He's extremely popular. And there's a book that came out he didn't write called uh, The Dictator's Handbook. 
which I just ordered. I just got it in today. I can't wait to read it. And he made this video based on some of the concepts in that. And it is about essentially how leadership works. And what role-playing game topic I saw in this was that when a game master, say, makes leadership in a game, like makes a king, and the king gives out quests, or it's a military thing, and then there's a general, and the general gives out missions, or something like that. There's a person of power, usually, because it's easy to do this, is that you just have the king on his throne, and everybody else is... there. There's a court there, but they're just sort of window dressing. Maybe there are guards because your players are jerks, and they're going to try to kill the king otherwise. Exactly. Or, or, or yeah, or they're window dressing anyway. Yeah. Or, and maybe at most, the, the king has a right-hand man. And the king gives you a quest to do. And, you know, there's all different levels of nuance to this. But you are given a quest to go get the the MacGuffin. To me, that's always seemed really... The king has this army. You know, the king has this court. He has all these nobles. He has all these people. Why is he pulling these murder hobos off the street and telling him to get the thing that's going to make or break his kingdom? You know, why doesn't he send the army there? Now, of course... There can be reasons, right? You know, it's, well, you know, if I send my troops, it'll cause a war and I need to send people who are unaffiliated or whatever. There's a thousand different reasons. But if you keep doing that, if the king keeps making these reasons, suddenly it stops being the king's reasons and it starts being the game master's excuses. Well, I think it also presents government in a way that's easy for storytelling, but really doesn't give you a chance to explore the nuance of what's going on. And it, the, the stories are not about the king and right, his power structure. Right. They're about the story that's going and on. And there may be some stories where that's really sure. all they're there for, is they are just there to give you some information or put, push the quest along. But even in situations where you have something like a republic or mm-hmm. a democracy, there's always this one figurehead the party ends up talking to. And I think it's easier for game masters, right. and I've done this plenty of times myself, because you really don't want to tell the story necessarily mm. of the detail of governance. You don't want to have to design 25 different characters and all right. their detail. Instead, you can focus that on the one person they're going to talk to. And so I understand that this is not appropriate to every game. But as we were talking about this, it seemed to struck mm. you guys And even as I thought about it just a little bit, I was starting to see opportunities where if you wanted to, you could explore this and develop this to open up a lot of NPCs and story opportunities that you could add into the game once again, if that's what you want to do. One option I saw from the why doesn't the king send his army or do any Mm. of this to keep it basically to keep going down that path, if that's the direction you wanted to go, is that could actually be a plot point. Mm -hmm. If the party is set up to be so, maybe that is the party's job. Right. They are they are his agents. Yeah, that's yeah. why they keep getting sent on and these missions. And if you're missions. going with a more traditional D and D style game, interpretation of what level zero characters are, who's around and able to be disposed of by the ruler, you might be the bee's knees. If you're yeah. a party of four adventurers with six class levels, you could be the strongest, toughest, baddest right. people yep. within the region. There gets a point where your D and D high level character is more powerful than entire right. Army exactly, and and, and you know, in the more contemporary systems, it's more common to say that the king is a 19th level noble and he has 27 modifiers to all these soft skills but he's really basically as strong as you but back in the day of the day the king was a zeroth level human with two hit points that could be beat up by a house cat so so were most of his guards to pull it back to what i was getting out of the video it it, there's like these three rules of leadership and there's a zeroth rule and then it it goes into 
dictatorships mainly, and then it talks about how the concepts apply to actual democracy stuff. I don't want to get into all that. I, I don't want to get into this big We'll link the slide. video. Yeah. If you really want to watch it, go out and watch it. It is actually really good. Sure. But what I got out of it and how to apply it to a role-playing game is this concept that you have a king, or in this, in the case of the video, a dictator. You have, you have this one person who is the ruler. Well, what does that mean? Now, this one person cannot get in a tank and be the army, like all of the army and fight all of the enemies. And this one person cannot at the same time also be the bureaucrat who manages the income of the kingdom and makes sure people are getting fed and make sure everyone's getting paid. And he cannot be the police that enforces the will of the ruler and all that stuff. What this ruler does, be it a king, a dictator, a general, whatever, is that they sit on a throne and they have ideas and they tell people to do these things for them. Now, what that comes in is that you have what are called keys to power. The king has these people in positions who can do these things for them. So you have a general, and the general is one of the king's keys to power. So the general commands the army, and then the army does all the military stuff. And then there's like the chief of police, or the chief constable, if you want to keep this in a kingdom saying. And then they're a key to power. Then there's like the chief ministers, and they manage the government. And how this ties into role-playing games is that it gets back to that you go to the king's court and he tells you to go get the MacGuffin. And it's like, okay, that that's fine. That's not what the story's about. There is a lot of opportunity there to apply this sort of template of a king is just an idea guy and he, he has keys to power and the, those keys to power are actually people. And those people have people under them that do stuff. And that it's all, all the work is divided and conquered. So what you have is these keys of power are NPCs and they serve functions and they have different agendas that they want to do. And the state gives the king power, money, resources, that sort of thing, authority. And then the king distributes that money, time, resources, and authority to the different keys of power who then subdivide that up, put some of it in their pocket, and then divide that up amongst their underling. So as a game master, instead of just saying, okay, well, there's the MacGuffin that I need the players to go get, and I just need a king NPC to go get them there, you will actually add a lot to your game, the fabric of the world that you have, and create an opportunity to create a whole bunch of NPCs by just adding these keys to power. How much more interesting is that whole setup Right, if... The king tells the head of his army, this is what I need. That guy is smart enough to know if I send an army in, that's going to cause a war. Mm -hmm. King didn't bring you in and hire you. Your, the other guy did. Your subcontractor. Right, yep. right See, exactly so. Suddenly, and... that is a much more interesting setup to me because you're not only out there... Mm -hmm. He doesn't want you to be public because he doesn't want the king to know that he's subcontracted. Right. He doesn't. That's probably yeah. the Cadillac example of the workaround, which yeah. is, yeah. I cannot send in regulars. I cannot send in anyone who can be captured and finger my throne. Like, you're going in because you're deniable. And, yeah. you know, if that's that excuse every single time, it probably gets repetitive well, and boring. But there's other. Don't worry about it too much, I don't think. There's other keys to power, it's too. It's kind of like. If you're playing, yeah, yeah. I, I would, I would suggest one of two approaches. If you're gonna go deep and you're gonna try to map out the contours of who actually has what authority and who's working at loggerheads with who, and make that a part of the game, like you're playing Vampire the Masquerade or Birthright or something, 
do all this. If it's a murder hobo game, don't worry about too much. Uh, it doesn't really matter that much in scene one if someone shows up to fix the TV or the plumbing or the toilet. <laughs> right. If all you're going to get to is the Barry White soundtrack by five minute mark, yeah. the king sends you off and then you go kill the dragon. Exactly. Well, yeah. No, I agree with That's you. a big part of it too. Is that city, is that kingdom, is whatever. Are you going to be spending time there? Because mm-hmm. if you are, then I think it matters a lot. Yeah. But if the course of the campaign is basically this first session or so, you get ready and then you're off. Oh, yeah. And you're never coming back, yeah. or you yeah. won't be back for a year. Let me tell then who cares? Let me tell you a real world story that happened to me. You met a king. Yeah. You were delegated you... by the United States government <laughs> to sabotage a nuclear reactor because you were expendable. No, my, <laughs> my dad has, does have a bunch of awards from the Prince of Liechtenstein, but I have no contact whatsoever with any form of leadership, really, outside of mm. the corporate world. But that's where my story is, because mm. corporations run about the same way. All you, organi- See, that's the point of the video. All organizations run this way. Church organizations run this way. Corporate organizations run this way. They all work about the same way. We are social creatures. You put us into any group and we organize. And that's a fascinating point, too, because you mentioned corporations. When I see this done in games, I see basically every kingdom has the same structure. Mm -hmm. I've worked for multiple corporations. The same structure isn't there. No. Well, let me tell you the story that happened to me in a corporation that ties right into this, because I think we can draw us right back to what it would look like in governance. I was contracted out several years back to an aircraft design company that's located in a part of St. Louis called Chesterfield, and they needed somebody to help them with some computer development or to do basically some mathematical stuff for their airplane designs. Uh, They did relatively small airplanes and everything has to be figured in. Like when they were trying to work out the weight distribution and the center of mass and also for the airplanes, it was highly specific down to, they were estimating the weight of the pilot and co-pilot, the flight manual was weighted out and given an XYZ coordinate on the plane. That when American Airlines stopped carrying the Sky Mall catalog in their planes, they saved $350,000 in fuel every year. <laughs> no, I, I wow. totally believe it because, I mean, it was unbelievable. I was blown away by all of the stuff that they took into account on this. And while I was there, okay, so let's let's take a look at this as an organization. Somewhere at the top is somebody who's in charge, a CEO, somebody who's the chair of the board. I, you know, whatever it is, there's somebody who's at the top that's in charge. That is, person, I think Charles. Sure, <laughs> why not? If it means I worked with like a teenage Nicole the Eggert, <laughs> then I'll go with that. It's, but then down below this person, of course, are individual department heads who are each tasked theoretically with one thing, which is making the company work for that guy at the top. Okay, mm-hmm. so for the owner, the CEO, whatever this person is. Even that is variable, too. The person that's in charge, his job might be to make it work for the people that put him in charge, too. Very much so. Because it's a case of either they're, if they're an owner, they have complete and total power. But But if they were head of a board... Look at what comes below that. The people that are in charge of maintenance, they have one set of tasks they have to accomplish. Now, that's necessary to running the company, but that's one set of goals and one set of resources. The people that do engineering and design, they have a different set Mm. of tasks that, once again, theoretically, this is a key to power that was given to them by that person at the top, 
but it's a different set of needs. And what happened is I was hired in as a contractor. This was not a large company. This is a, I'd say a mid-sized company. And they did not have a sufficient number of technically qualified people. And so what happened is even though I was paid for under the budget of a particular department, and I was supposed to be working for a guy who I actually remember his name. His name was Art. I don't know why I remember that for all these years. But I was working for a guy named Art. And then what happened was another department, one of their people, found out I was there under their budget doing certain things for them. And they had needs of their own that also ultimately tie back up to that mm-hmm. same guy or, or could have been a woman, I guess, uh, whatever at the person. top person at mm-hmm. the top. And so they're theoretically working for the same person, but they were in competition over me. Right. Because Art, his department had budgeted for me as a contractor and paid for me. So I was working for Art, but this other person would keep coming to me with questions and requests that I, as a contractor, didn't feel I had the authority to tell him to get bent. Mm -hmm. And then Art would have to come in like an old man shooing away pigeons (laughs) to chase this guy off to keep him from using his resources. Right. So you can see that power dynamic at work where the fact that these people all answer to the same person does not mean they all have the same goals. I I was thinking about something as you were talking and I was completely not listening to you, but saying yes and uh aha is sure. Yeah. It's you're married. (laughs) (laughs) But I was thinking about something that, that John had brought up too about, you know, it's like, okay, if this is a murder hobo game, you know, don't put too much brain sweat into it, but if it's a very nuanced layer game, then absolutely. And I agree with you, you know, if you're doing a murder hobo game, then, you know, Mm. you need to put your resources into stat blocks, treasure and that sort of cool stuff. But if you're looking at this and saying, you know, oh, well, I already have like a magistrate in my king. I have a kingdom and he is a, you know, captain of the guard and he has a magistrate that that's fine. More than just making NPCs where you think of I have a king. How does the king run his country? He has lieutenants or dukes or whatever you want to call it. Keys to power under him that do these different things. What you could do that's very simple and doesn't require a lot of notes, doesn't require a lot of effort is. First, think of your king. How did he get there? Just like two sentences. You know, he he killed his father and stole the throne. Something like that. You have these keys of power, okay? So you have one, two, three, four, five keys. You know, captain of the guard, magistrate, vicar, whatever, blah, 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 on and on. And write one or two sentences, not how they got into power, but how the king obtained them and keeps them in power. How does the king keep their loyalty? Because when you write that, then from that is inferred their motivation, their personality. Right. I mean, you don't even need to write this huge, gigantic character sheet out for each one. It's just like, okay, the captain of the guard, how does the king keep this key to power? Well, the king knew his father, and the guard has no interest in money. Well, okay, so what does that mean? It means the guard is a loyal fanatic. You know, he is bound by family tradition. You don't Suddenly to- he's not bribable. Yeah, suddenly he's not bribable. So, and that did not take but 30 seconds of an answer. L- let me give you a game example. There's a D&D game that I've run for a couple of groups. And the setup of it is, if for anyone who's familiar with Forgotten Realms, uh, th- this is set pre-Time of Troubles. I am not. I forgot. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, actually, you played in one of the iterations of this game. I did forget that. But there's, it, it, there's a kingdom. It's a, a trade kingdom called Sembia, and it was one of the places that... Is this with the wood? The magic wood? 
the, the clue on it. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah, that, that, yeah. That, was, that was one See, plot I, point. I, in I remember there. your wood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you remember your beheaded uncle? <laughs> no. I love running for you, Chad. Everything is brand new <laughs> every time. It's so easy. It's such an adventure. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like showing a movie to an Alzheimer's patient. You can put the same movie on every day. Right. But uh, no, the, the Ice po- Station Zebra. Again. <laughs> the point being, though, that you have Sembia, okay, which is this like trade kingdom. And north of Sambia is an independent city-state without a map in front of me. I forget its name. Mm-hmm. All right, north of that is something called the Standing Stone, which is this old monument to a treaty that once existed between the humans and elves that lived in the area. I remember it, your hard rock, too. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> you remember my wood and my, my, and my, your hard rock. And my standing rock? rock yes. <laughs> but... What I did in this game was that I said that, okay, there's a major trade road right there that passes by mm-hmm. this giant rock. <laughs> yeah. And so since Sembia wants to maintain trade in the area and the city state right just south of that, so between Sembia and the stone, mm-hmm. doesn't really care that much about that area, Sembia had an outpost up there. So this mm-hmm. kind of minor little bit of territory, the satellite state, that they claimed and swore its feudal loyalties back up the chain to the major nation of Sembia. And it was run by this baron that basically is a fairly intelligent, savvy guy. And as a result, they didn't want him competing for power. So they shipped him off to nowhere. So he mm-hmm. wasn't a threat to anyone. Yeah. Gave he, him a title, gave him a little bit of money and, and got rid him, of him. And got rid of Not him. Not because he's incompetent, because he's too competent. Right. right. But what happens in the course of this campaign is all these bad things start happening and all this, you know, evil magic starts coming to work. And, and the elves, they have all these prophecies that something bad will happen if humans stay in that area. And so there's all these different forces that are trying to pressure them back out. All the while, Sembia is pressuring them, no, we want you to stay there and keep those damn trade roads open. Mm-hmm. Because the people that run Sembia want the money, right? right? It's a trade empire. They don't care as much about the lives of these people as long as the trade is getting through. The elves have a much more religious or long view of the whole the thing. And the, these, and the people that live at this keep, they want to live, right? right? And so when the Baron looks at this, he's like, well, if I pack up and go home, and run back to Sembia, I lose my land. My title will now be title only. I really, I'm not a, going to be a baron of anything. Mm. I have nothing left. And so he really didn't want to leave. But at the same time, he's a good guy, right? Right. But under him, you have a guy who runs all the, the military that's there, which it wasn't much. Right. But runs the patrols that keep the bandits off the roads. And they have one take on the situation of, well, this is getting more and more dangerous. You end up having a guy who's in charge of these civilian affairs mm-hmm. around the area. This is a bureaucrat. Who's kind of yeah. like, we've got all these farmlands and shops outside the walls of this keep that we need. Mm-hmm. We need to get out of here before that stuff's all burned down. And we lose those people because at least if we go and put down stakes somewhere else, we still have the talent. Right. We have the people. You then have the guy who's the head of the local chapel. I, I forget what exact religion he was, but he's kind of like, you know, I have a religious outlook on this and that I have certain views about these prophecies and what we need to do. And each of them all work for the Baron, but each of them has a different take on that. And then on top of that, Sembia, trying to placate this Baron, who's getting increasingly nervous, sends a guy north with a more sizable army. 
Ashley's lower on the feudal chain, but they put him at the head of an army that Ashley's flying the Sembian flag and everything. And they send him up north. Well, of course, his requirement is you are supposed to make sure they hold this position and don't move no matter how bad it gets. Mm -hmm. But in truth, this guy, he has his closest advisor with him, which is his brother, who he takes a look at the situation and says, actually, there's something much bigger than Symbian politics going on here. The elves are fundamentally right. We need to work this to our advantage. And so all these people ostensibly work for the Baron, right? There's one guy ostensibly in charge, but they have all of these competing interests and decisions that the players make. Like, for example, well, we've brought back a shipment of ore, but we only saved half of it. Do we send it? to the village blacksmith to make horseshoes and plows so there's food this winter? Or do we send it inside to the Keeps blacksmith to make swords and armor so that if these elven prophecies come true, we can fend off all these hideous things that are crawling out of the woods? Well, what does the Baron want? Well, the Baron wants both. Right. And so do you see how that that subdivision of power, Mm -hmm. even to a single source, starts to create moral complexity? Yes. Because each of these people, the farming guy, he's trying to serve the Baron, and he sees his needs and believes in them. Mm -hmm. The captain of the guard is trying to serve the Baron, and he sees his needs and believes in them. It is incredibly difficult to delegate authority, whether you're a democratic government or a communist government or the head of a company or the head of your committee at church or your fraternal association. There's a balance you have to strike. I'm I'm reading... um, Political Order and Political Decay by Francis Fukuyama right now, and he goes into this in detail. Having a bureaucracy that is both autonomous and empowered enough to do its job, that's the one horn that you need to cover, Mm -hmm. and simultaneously actually still subservient and accountable to the person who theoretically is directing them and giving them their priorities, is really, really hard to have both of those going on at the same time in any organization. And we see this fail in developing countries so many times because most institutions are either insufficiently potent to actually do what they're supposed to do because they're being kept on the leash or on the other horn of the dilemma, so free to enact that they're free to pursue their own agenda to the potential detriment of the king or the body politic that they're supposed to be serving. And it sounds like you simulated that in your Symbia game because everyone believes their project is the number one priority. Precisely. And and that's that's in a good case scenario. (laughs) If you're doing medieval D&D politics, you have the obligatory vizier who's trying to take over the government. He doesn't even pretend to be doing what the king is saying. Yeah, my first thought as Chad was describing Mm -hmm. a group being sent out was, okay, well, you've got, you know, one person in power is sending a group. Another wants the credit. Why wouldn't they send another group? Right. You know what? And then you have a competing group. Wayne, that was my opposite example of this is I'm just going to go ahead and straight up God win it because it's the best example I have. Hitler. Charlie Chaplin. (laughs) The anti-Semitic Charlie Chaplin (laughs) was not somebody that a lot of people, even in his own organization, wanted in power. There were a lot of people that wanted to knock him out of power and take over. One of the strategies that Hitler used and used very well to keep himself in power was Hitler never let there be a clear second organization, Mm -hmm. meaning that Hitler was at the top, the heir apparent organizationally or just by name. If Hitler dies, this is who takes over. 
was intentionally kept vague throughout most of his rule. And the reason he did that was he calculated that if everybody is tied for third and fighting each other for second, they're never fighting me for first. Right. He was right. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he was a good person. Yeah. But, he was right in the Machiavellian yes, sense. It, but he but, was right. But he maintained such a monopoly on authority that his subordinates could not effectively make decisions for long periods of time right, and across broad subject areas. So he picked one side of the dilemma. It probably wouldn't have made a difference if he picked the other one. But the cost of him maintaining all of that personal authority was hamstringing his own bureaucracy, his own military. Let's go back to my Sunbi example. Let's say that shipment of iron ore comes in, and when you're like, who do we give it to? The Baron punts. He doesn't look at the decision. Well, now you've got two basic options, as I presented it there, which is you either give it to the village blacksmith and people get fed, or you give it to the guards blacksmith and they get weapons and armor. Well, the person at the top, quite frankly, may want that conflict or maybe too stupid or too tied up in their own stuff to see that conflict. And what ends up happening is if you arm the military, the peasants revolt because they're starving and they're stinky. They're revolting. If, if you arm the peasants, the military can't effectively defend them. Or and you so, split it in half and neither one of them is done well. Exactly. And so now you have you half know, starved and half armed people. You know, the, the and, video actually gets into the peasants uprising. Yeah. And it's, it goes into about how, this idea of like Che and these revolutionaries leading the charge on the palace and how heroic they are and all the stories behind them is actually more of a very creative fiction, not specifically about Che, but just that imagery. And really a lot of these revolts are the peasants uprise, the army sees, which is a key to power, sees what's happening and steps aside and let it happen. Somebody asked me, when they linked me this video, I don't remember who it was mm-hmm. where I would credit them, but somebody asked me when they linked this video, what kind of government I would have. Like if you just gave me right. a blank slate world and I could construct the empire of Dan, <laughs> what would it look like? And here's the government that I designed and I have tried it and it seems to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've tried this nothing more than in games, right. but because apparently this war government, at least Wikipedia is to be believed, <laughs> has never actually been attempted. Mm. But the form of government that I want to do is that I would be a benevolent dictator, which that has been attempted. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> it's yeah. the next part. Poorly. Is, it is the next part that has not been. Oh, boy. Overseeing a technocracy. Mm. Now, for anyone who does not know what a technocracy is or has played too much World of Darkness, and maybe misunderstands what a technocracy is. A technocracy is when you take experts in individual right. subject matters and you basically make them heads yeah. of that thing. Okay, so, so imagine the Department of Energy is not headed by a bureaucrat, it's headed by lots of autocratic Thomas Edison. communist governments have claimed to be precisely that. Right. A but, lot of companies try things like this and quickly realize that those people have no leadership skills. But imagine if you had little to no legislature and instead all of the cabinet positions and agencies of, of the executive branch actually fully ran the, the country rather with no oversight. Yes, I could imagine that yeah. it's called the communist party of the Soviet union. <laughs> it was tried, but, but the point being that where I tried this was in a, a bit of blood pressure raising for John in the game of Junta mm. where 
I no, you lost that game because you didn't even try to win. But continue. But I'll prepare my rebuttal. Uh, my my <laughs> experiment was uh. successful because here's what I did. I was sitting in the, in the game of Junta. Okay, you play a group of people that lead an island nation, and each of you are technocrats mm-hmm. over an individual portion of that island nation: the army, the agriculture, the navy, whatever. Okay, and at the top is a president, okay, El Presidente, right? Mm -hmm. And I got that role in one of the games that we played. Of El Presidente. I nominated you for that role because I believed you would fail to exploit it because you're a total pacifist in social games. (laughs) Continue. (laughs) And so what I did was, at the start of every turn, I am given a finite amount of resources, if I'm remembering the game right. It's been been maybe about two years. No, the foreign aid comes to the government. Right. And it is up to the president to distribute it however he sees fit. Correct. He can take it all. He can give it all away. You're kind of supposed to keep a little cadre on your side while taking more than you say you are for and yourself. And I can lie. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, when I get a stack of money and I can then pass out this money face down yes. and I can say I'm giving Wayne yes. four bucks. You can you can deceive because you have to reveal how many bills you give to each of the right. families. But not the but denomination. But you don't have to put them face up and you can lie about what's underneath the bill. exactly and then i keep a budget for myself now here's the balance of power if john is running a portion of the government i need his portion of government to function one for the health of the island because you do get random events if memory serves and two because if one of the other people makes a run on me i may be counting on john's loyalty to back me and keep me in power Okay, so it's it's that keeping everyone tied for third place. What I did was I intentionally kept everyone roughly equal, but in my hand, because you get your own little event mm-hmm. cards and whatever, I built a hand that was basically a screw you, no you don't hand. So the first time someone made a move on me, it's like, I ruined that, I ruined that, I ruined that, your coup is over. Like, it's just basically, you tried, it failed hard, and now, what I can do from that point forward is I have now created prey. Because now, for the next several turns, I can punish that person openly and let everyone else predate, you, you go mean- after that person and then eventually rehabilitate them back into my good graces. <laughs> you ran your social experiment, Dan, but you wasted three hours for everyone else because you didn't try to win the game. I know, but it was... The so- object of the game is to be the family that launders the most money into the Swiss bank account. Dan being Dan, throughout the rule book, decided to play non-confrontationally in whatever manner struck his fancy. <laughs> and I ran you a were, successful You were the country. president for the entire game, and you came in, like, fourth place out of six. No, <laughs> no. You infuriate... <laughs> I failed the game, but I ran a successful country. No, no. I failed you, to you run. You unilaterally altered the rule book. You declared victory and lost. And the dynamics of the game as they were built were utterly and totally frustrated by the by the experiment you ran. And it was a waste of all of our time. John, you know who won? The residents of that island. No. <laughs> Everyone lost that. The constituents. I think yes. Mike won that game because you gave him the most money in your entire run of being in power. And Mike won that game because he played ball to what the dictator wanted. <laughs> yes. What the dictator wanted. 
It was just the love of his people. Precisely. <laughs> it was just basically, don't screw with me. But but stop here for a minute, all right? Well, you do understand that it's not a political simulation. It is a game with a defined goal. Hey, I always create my own games within games. Please tell me the next time you're going to decide to do that, so I can either know or leave. Or if we're playing Intersphere, so I can use you to win myself. John, next time you play a social game with Dan, he's going to do that. Yeah, no, I know he's going to do something like it. Mm-hmm. Going into Intersphere, knowing what you were doing, I won the game because I used you. Going into Junta, not knowing you were doing what you were doing that time, I just sat there in befuddlement. And then we got to the end, and it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but here's the point. Mm-hmm. Okay, look at the complexity of what occurred. Look at the emotion that's involved. Look at the goals each of us had, which were both unified and conflicting all at once. And now take that out to a role playing game. Right. You know, you can very much have the king who perhaps maybe even wants something utterly benevolent or Mm -hmm. maybe doesn't. Maybe is just shoveling off money into their Swiss bank account. Yeah. And you then have people under them. That each have their own goals, which may be benevolent. It may be, I'm going to play nice with the dictator, and I'm going to do my job. Or it may be, I'm going to try and make a run on power, and that may or may not mm-hmm. succeed. And you know, th- there's a lot of dynamic there that if you wanted to really deal with this, because this creates some great moral questions for the party. Because what happens if the king says, I, w- I need somebody to stop this dragon from attacking our village? Okay. So the leader of the army comes along and says, okay, I know you guys are problem solvers. We're busy with the war over here. I need you guys as problem solvers to go in and take care of the dragon. And maybe he goes off to do that. Mm. But maybe in the process, the head of the coffers, okay, the merchantman comes along coffee, and says, you know, I know the military told you to get rid of the dragon. But in truth... No, he said take care of the dragon. Exactly. Which is why I showed up there with the care package, DVDs, and chocolates, (laughs) because I want to make sure he's okay. But maybe he says, you know, actually, given the amount of information resources this dragon has... No dragon, Netflix and... And given given the fact that we obviously have large armies in Kurochinot's territory, which is why it's attacking, maybe we can kind of deal with this thing. It's an intelligent creature, Maybe you can convince it to get these people out of our empire, which restores the peace. We'll bring it food and, and a certain tax but all the time. People, <laughs> well, fine. you've got war criminals <laughs> or Peasants. enemy armies. <laughs> I mean, you know. But the point is that you can create a moral complexity to the game because now suddenly that objective. It's like, well, if you solve it this way, you accomplish one thing. But if you solve it that way. You know, it, let's go back to the good old Gnarl game. Pat made the choice to use the gnolls, not to simply be driven out of the kingdom, mm-hmm. but basically cut a deal with them of, I'll let you do some bad things and turn a blind eye to it. If in return, you protect my citizens, screw everybody else, but you protect my citizens and keep my roads open for trade. Yeah. And the gnolls are happy to go along with that. Because they still got to go out there and do their bad things and do it with the sanction mm-hmm. of the local humans who simply didn't get in their way. And because Narl and Saren just happened to be personal friends, right. the leaders were amenable to that. But there were people coming along on both sides who were kind of like, you know, these gnolls are eventually going to get powerful enough that mm-hmm. they're going to be an existential threat to us. The history of the game was 
We just fought a war against them. Right. And there were people on the Nolish side that were kind of like, you know, eventually these humans are going to see us as an existential threat. And humans taste good. Maybe we <laughs> should just go ahead and take that city rather than building our own. And things started to get complicated. Yep. And even things started coming up like, you know what, we've started intercepting bandits that are within the Knowles territory. It's our right to plunder and eat these people. But at the same time, we also know that the kingdom is under threat from another kingdom to the east. What if we let them keep their stuff and just sent them on their way? Mm-hmm. But then suddenly Narl's own people are kind of like, well, where's our food and our slaves and our plunder? Right. And so you have all of these different goals, which, okay, they weren't all good, <laughs> but they were at least all working in harmony. They were all mm-hmm. towards, you know, the same end line. But it created this complication of government that was more than just abstract politics yeah. to the people playing the game. It very much impacted our day-to-day adventuring decisions. So this actually reminds me of the very first Bard's Bard game I ran. <laughs> this one was the one where I'm going in, I didn't realize what it was going to become. So I had maps, I had stats, I had prep work that none of that ever even mattered. <laughs> the initial setup for all of the characters was that the king has declared that the people that he's designated to run the different parts of his kingdom mm-hmm. are to send their bravest and strongest warriors for a mission. And each one of them sent a bard with the intention of that bard being killed on the mission. Right. And it was the first thing as I made the players all define for me, what did you do to piss off <laughs> your leader that he sent you on a suicide mission? And Wait, and you're just, such a natural, you annoy me. Yeah. It just so <laughs> happened that every one of them all had the same plan of, I'm going to send someone to have them get killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was fun. It sounds kind of like a really weird version of the cabin in the woods. <laughs> it sounds like Suicide Squad, but with the worst class. It kind of <laughs> does, actually. So, Chad. Yes. You observed me in my natural habitat last night. Yes. We were playing Riven. Right, the video game. Share your observations, because I am... Well, immer- can you start by describing Riven? Okay, Riven is the sequel to Myst. Myst, for all you younger listeners out there, was this game that came out in the early 90s that was just a series of what are essentially PowerPoint slides that you clicked through and you solved puzzles. It was very low budget, but it was really, really, really cool. Right. It birthed a whole genre of Myst clones. No, it did not. It was actually the best... <laughs> selling PC game of all time until The Sims came out in 99 or 2000. And for those of you that are John's age, Myst was actually a successor to the Infocom games and King's Quest well, games. Yes, yes, yes. It was, it yeah. was not the first adventure game ever, but you must admit that... It's the point... It was genre-defining. Genre. I yes. will certainly okay, give right, you right, 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 right. You know, so, Star Wars didn't invent space sci-fi. fantasy or right, sci-fi right, right, but right. oh my god look what it did right right that's you know, what mist was sure i never played it back in the day when i played it was when i got into linux as a hobby really and i got it running better on wine than i could get it to run on xp because it was an old dos the game. first puzzle of the 90s adventure games was getting them to run on your computer <laughs> playing 90s Truth. pc games was yeah. not easy true yeah. trumped only by the puzzle 
of trying to make a land party work. Oh on, my yep. god! On null modem cables. Oh man! Before I started hanging out with you, Dan, or long before you, Wayne, Chad and I would have beige box land parties in like 2002, mm-hmm. yep. and it was a little easier at that point because everyone had broadband internet. But yeah. still, yeah. Least, it was not a guaranteed. Dude, thing. I tell you, man, trying to run that between like null modem cables and such yeah. before you even had like you know the routers and whatnot, oh no, I was switches. I'm was, not that young. I remember calling my buddies house on warcraft 2 and like his mom picked up before he could get on the computer and i was like crap <laughs> and uh, uh my girlfriend cat lured me over to her place yesterday yesterday was october 31st which was my 31st birthday and my girlfriend invited me over to her place she said she was gonna you know cook steak have some wine we we're just gonna have a little night in it was gonna be great whatever cuddles netflix and chill what she didn't tell me was that she invited literally everyone I know and or am related to to have a surprise party for me. The and ultimate The ultimate <laughs> Well, ineffectively, but, but the ultimate <laughs> delay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I walk in the door and like, there's Chad, there's mm. Julie, um, and a bunch of other people who I know and love. And there's a big old box of bourbon slushies The big mom. old box of bourbon oh slush. Yeah, I got I five it. bottles of good whiskey, is... a case of beer, and a bottle of fantastic uh, Zinfandel mm-hmm. uh, from Sonoma. Hand, like, picked up from California by my Uncle Larry. But anyway. Her mom's bourbon um, slush recipe is so good. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to send it to you guys. Chad has apparently been waiting for this <laughs> recipe for 10 years. Yeah. Perhaps not coincidentally, as long as I've been allowed to drink. Not that Chad and I ever drank before I was allowed oh, to no, drink. Oh, no, no, that would be illegal. When I was at his land parties in 2002. Yeah. But anyway, the party ultimately sputtered down. You know, folks went home, folks went to sleep. We started playing Riven. Kat and I and a couple of our mutual friends are deep into a Riven file. We beat Miss. We beat Miss in a couple hours. We'd all done it before, and it's relatively simple. But Riven is really hard and really intricate and requires a lot of thinking and note-taking and maps and diagrams and all that crap. So we're just kind of taking it one bite at a time. Well, so what these guys did... Now, I'm usually the last person to leave a party, and I knew this party was going to be a big block anyway, so I really wanted to be the last person to leave. Just kind of. <laughs> but, uh, So I don't know the people's names... Because I had just met them. So I, yes. uh, someone, one of Kat's friends, brings out a computer. That was Tyler. Tyler plugs it into the TV. He's our navigator. He's the clicker yes. most of the time. So, and they take that keyboard and then they start booting this stuff up. And I'm sitting there and then Kat starts talking about Riven. Has John told you about Riven? Oh my God, <laughs> Riven. And I'm like, the the 90s puzzle games i hate puzzle games and she's like oh my god rivet it's a rivet rivet." and i'm like you see why our relationship is rock solid yes and i'm like whoa slow it down and then the other people are starting to get you know kind of excited about because for the past hour after everybody had left we were sitting around drinking talking about literature and politics and books and history and travel and show tunes and opera and stuff and then all of a sudden it was like somebody flipped the ribbon one of the things that cat had promised me yeah. in in getting me over there yeah. was a long slow passionate session of ribbon right so she knew i still wanted it before we went to bed yeah. and she didn't take it off the table right and if you think ribbon is fun by yourself try playing it with two people yeah. and if you think it's fun with two people try playing it with like five or six that's we're right. still talking about a computer game absolutely so, so tyler yeah. brings it's out a this point and click adventure it is so there's a little hand and with hand audio is, and it has a finger and when you press it, yeah. it the finger moves so does it have nudity because noctropolis at least had nudity. no it does no. not have nudity okay so 
anyway, Tyler brings out this computer and hooks it up, and he's been working on this Mac because these are all like grad students, right? And they're talking about their theses and whatnot, and he's working on some homework. Yes. And I, everyone in there except Chad and I was a graduate level mathematician. Yeah, these are smart analytical people. Yes. And so there, I thought he was just going to work on some homework. I wasn't really thinking about it. And then it, it kind of clicks for everybody. It's, oh, it's time for Riven. They start, you know, you know, spinning up about it. And everybody runs over to the couch. They start pulling out notebooks. <laughs> notebooks with page after page of just, you ever seen a movie where there's a crazy person and they're trying to figure out who the crazy person is and then they find the crazy person's place where they live but they haven't found the crazy person yet and they find a notebook and, and there's the notebook, 200 copies of catcher in the rye right and diagrams right. with polaroids on the wall yeah and the, this the notebook is like a hundred pages of crazy. <laughs> this is what this notebook looked like. I mean, it's well, all the margins are filled in. Strange esoteric diagrams, symbols written in there. Everything. That book had already seen a full playthrough of Mist, so it yeah. had several pages scratched up already. So Cat grabs. She's their note taker. Okay, and she's like, "I'm the note taker," and she grabs it. And then I believe uh, the one guy in the who dressed up as the uh, bounty man, Mark. Mark. Mark sits down and he takes out these legal pads and these legal pads have like maps on them. He's like, I'm the cartographer. And then, I mean, page after page after page of maps of the uh, hand drawn, not like looking at a picture on the Internet and no. sketching. Some, no, like, we refuse to use the Internet. Yep. I read the Wikipedia article for Riven. Nothing further. Yep. No research. Click, you click through these slides, which makes uh, you're walking down a corridor. It's like a slide of a. Uh, you just have to watch a video let's play to, right, to, right. to understand it if you if you don't understand the concept but there's a lot of mapping involved and they're mapping it by <laughs> hand so i just got this text message we figured out the number system it's base five well, from cat <laughs> they're playing right now is there something about governance in all of this so, no, no it's this just a banner the, topic this is the banner topic okay because okay. you skipped the banner i told you we were going to talk about ribbon okay and so you skipped it so right, now you're I, getting the banner so we are on a end. different topic yes this is okay. a coup this is yes, okay. they have taken over the podcast. Yes. Your key of power, because you did not do what our motivation was. That's right. About you delegated authority, and then we turned it on you. So there's like Tyler and Mark, Mark and Kat and John and another guy. Corey. Corey. Corey doesn't have a formal role. He's just kind of our court advisor. Right. And they're all on couches and chairs sitting around this. And if you ever watched a sports game, baseball, football, whatever. And it's like the playoffs or uh -huh. the big, huge game. And you've got a couch full of people sitting around it and people are going, Grunt, go score. Yeah. Yeah. It's this, this imagine that level of volume, excitement and engagement with pressing a button. Like you're in front. So it's so like you watching a Korean Starcraft final match kind of except, except there's no intense competition except it's a king's so quest you're walking game. down yes. you're walking down a hall clicking down a hall because it's like these slides right it's these right, picture frame right. so it's like click 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 stop 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 wait 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 what 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 turn around click click no no the other way click click no too far click back it's a button oh my god a button click rumble 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 the wall goes in. it's a God, we've never been. I'm getting on my map. I'm riding this. Down. Click, click, click. No, you're going you, too fast. You, I'm you people don't understand. <laughs> These point and click it, games are bottlenecks followed by like a breakthrough the, with they, all this stuff you can get to behind the breakthrough. And we go the level up. of 
pumped up excitement figuring out a steam lever light puzzle collectively because it's not just one per you have one person running the mouse they're the nav they they call them the navigator yeah because everybody has like <laughs> titles right and the collective solving of the puzzle we'll try this well this it's baseball well, we do okay cat there's like this language in ribbon and missed in all the games, right? And she has been trying to decipher the language using the clues. Can in we the at game. least put this good use and get her to play Warframe and decipher <laughs> those languages? Since, to the best of my understanding, no one has done it yet. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching this, right? And yeah. I've, I've occasionally, you know, I kind of get excited too. You know, you get caught you up. Get in up it. into it a little. Yeah. Bit. And I, I solved a puzzle. I made a major breakthrough. Yeah, I, yeah, I got yeah. you guys into that room yeah. and and stuff. I think you spotted a turn yeah. into like a side stairway that we didn't yep. see, which uh, caused great chittering. Yes. There's a fan puzzle that I was uh, able to get for you guys. Cause it, cause I'm like, you guys are following pipes and steam and this was an electrical fan. They weren't following the power cord. And it's just like, okay, follow, flip the switch, walk back and follow the power cord. Where does it go? The fans turned off. Oh my God. <laughs> and, uh, so anyway, I'm watching this though. And I'm doing a lot of observing because I actually really hate puzzle games because I'm terrible at them. Okay. And so I'm watching them like, John, why haven't you introduced these people to role-playing games? Because Mist Riven, the game is the game master. And you've got this old school D and D party that is doing a non-combat puzzle oriented game. You've got a guy who's doing the mapper. You got a note taker. The woman is always the note taker. You got a guy who is like doing things. He's rolling dice when he's the navigator. He's clicking through. And then you have that one guy who's disengaged and then he just spouts a word of wisdom every once in a while from the back. It's our Star Trek bridge. I know. Right. Why the, don't the you introduce reason, these people to role playing uh, games? I'll run a Star Trek for that crew. I'll run a Star Trek game for them. That would be awesome. Well, there is a degree of up, shyness. Will, okay. okay. That, these people that is the were not shy. No. They but, could shout down. Cardinals fans in a playoff game at a sports because bar John, that's St. how Louis. I run my Star Trek games. Yes. Sci-fi mystery. So, the, so John, that's your job. Get these people in the role playing. I'm doing what I can. This Dresden Files game is in part a segue because some of them are fans of the Dresden Files. Okay. Um, and I will try to recruit at least one of them. My goal is, of course, Cat, my girlfriend. I've, right. I have designs on getting her into into uh, tabletop RPGs, but uh, you know, there's. There's a level of intimidation that's inherent to this hobby. It mm-hmm. you come to the table, everyone is screaming, everyone knows what they're doing, but you and and I don't know. Well, apparently, it happens at Riven as well. So, it does. <laughs> but everyone's on equal footing in Riven. Uh, Riven is about being oblivious together. Okay, being the only newbie at a role playing game, I think, is well, a little so, more. So, do them all together. Do a newbie group. That's what I did. That's true. That's actually not a bad idea. That's what I did to get people, and was they were all newbies. So, all right, you also run a mist themed role i think oh, there is yeah. a mist role playing I there's actually, definitely yeah, there out of game fiction on it there's several novels yeah, so yeah. all righty as for us you guys check the show notes for a couple of links to the no shave november thing to the for the con x kickstarter and anything else i'm forgetting it'll be in there so thank you guys for tuning in have a great week and great games and we will catch you next time see ya this has been a production of fear the boot copyright 2016 Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. 
You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.